You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip-syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to another episode of The Family Gamers. This is episode 345. Hello, hello, and welcome to everyone. I am very, very excited. Every time we do an afternoon show instead of a night show, I have a little bit more energy. A I don't lot know more why energy. Because I'm always exhausted at night, I guess. But I am super excited to do this afternoon show because, well, we're doing an afternoon show because we have a guest. We are The Family Gamers. I'm your host, Andrew. I'm joined by my lovely and wonderful and amazing wife, Anishra. That's me. And this week we have... Emma Larkin's on the show. How you doing, Emma? Pretty good. Glad to be here. All right. I am super excited. Emma has created, she is the designer of two games that I think are amazing and one game that I've never played, but hopefully will because it's a button shy game and I feel like we ought to have played it, but we haven't <laughs> yet. And we're going to talk about both of those games on this show. That's going to happen. That's going to happen. But before we do that, that is our topic. Second half of the show. Before we do that, I've got a fact. Actually, I have two facts. I have two facts. I will let you, Emma, pick which one you would like to hear about. Okay. Ooh. So, as everybody knows, episode 345, this is a 345 related fact. But Emma has created this amazing game called Starry Night Sky. So, I decided to get a fact that was related in some way to space. Not a lot of 345 facts about space out there. However, would you like to know about Wolf 345 or Kepler 345? Oh, uh, <laughs> both. But I'm just gonna say wolf. I'm gonna I'm gonna choose wolf. Okay. I mean, I can give you both if you want. Anyway. <laughs> it's like two facts. I know. I know. Wolf three forty five is a star located in the constellation of Leo Minor, the small lion. It is technically not part of the constellation outline, but it is within its borders. It's located in the Milky Way. Obviously, it's not in our solar system, however, because we only have one star in our solar system. Mm -hmm. There are no exoplanets recorded for the star, and most likely that is, in fact, the case. It doesn't have any exoplanets. Uh, no one has visited Wolf 345, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> it is 1.4 times larger than the sun, and it is 154 light years away from Earth. So it's going to be a long time before anybody can visit it. Yep, pretty much. <laughs> from Earth, at least. I mean, yeah, at least yeah. from Earth, right? I mean, it's, it's possible that somebody yeah. has visited it. It's just not anybody from here. Maybe Zephyr Cochran has visited. Anyway, <laughs> Kepler three forty five is located in the constellation of Cygnus, the Swan. Once again, it is not part of the outline, but it is inside the border of the constellation. Also located in the Milky Way. Also not in our solar system. Also, nobody has visited it. It is point. <laughs> six two times bigger than the sun so it's 60 percent larger than the sun and it has two exoplanets kepler 345b and kepler 345c i think uh kepler 345a must have gotten robbed somewhere along the line so i'm not really sure but those are my <laughs> facts for <laughs> episode number 345 and they are starry night sky related in honor of our guest where do you find these star facts? That sounds like uh, a really, you really know cool what, rabbit man, hole. I spend a lot of time on the internet. This is a, a good opportunity for me to once again solicit all of our listeners to say, please <laughs> just send me facts and save me the exhausting, exhausting work of trying to find facts for the show. I would love it. I will credit you on the show and you will have my eternal thanks. Anitra, however, already has another fact, and that is about our sponsor, First Move Financial. 
During these difficult times, it can be hard to know what you can do to be part of the solution to all of the various problems in the world. One of the best things that you can do is provide resources for people already doing the kind of work you want to support. But as I hope you know by now, not all charities are created equal. One example used to be the Wounded Warrior Project. They have improved significantly in the past few years. But before 2016, they spent around 50% of their donations on overhead, while the average of other veteran charities were spending closer to 10% on overhead. This upset a lot of people because the cause is a worthy one, and to use money meant for wounded vets on parties and extravagance and publicity just feels wrong. There are a lot of charities out there, and some do a better job of putting their money to work than others. If you want to make sure that your donations are being put to good use, do a little digging with a site like charitynavigator.org. That one's a great one for checking on a charity before making a donation. It can even help you find other similar charities that may be a better use of your money. If you'd like to have a free conversation to help you understand how to do some due diligence on a charity before making a donation, go to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers. And today you can schedule a 15-minute phone call for free. Thanks so much to the team over at First Move for sponsoring another episode of the Family Gamers Podcast. All right. At this point in the show, Emma, we're going to talk about some games we've been playing, and you get to go first because you <laughs> are our guest. All right. I have to be honest, a lot of the board games I play these days are on Board Game Arena. Mostly, especially the new games, mostly people invite me to games. I've actually met some really awesome people through Board Game Arena who I've never met in person. Mm -hmm. uh, and they invite me to new stuff. And I try not to say no to anything because, you know, the more games I play, the more you learn about games. It's good as a sure. board game sure. designer. Uh, one of the latest of those is a game called Tranquility. And I will say it is probably the least tranquil game <laughs> uh, yes. I've ever played. Uh, it's a co-op game. You have a grid. I think it's like a six, six by six grid uh, of basically blank spaces. And you have a shuffled stack of tiles that are numbered one through 80. And you have five tiles in hand at a time. And you're trying to get numbers basically in order. There's only 36 spots and there's 80 tiles. So there's some rules about which tiles you can place where. But generally, from left to right and bottom to top, you're trying to get them in order. And it's surprisingly tricky. And it's, it's a no communication game, right? It's one of these games where you can't mm -hmm, communicate. Mm -hmm. So you don't know what your partners have. A little bit like the mind, you know, you just kind of have to feel it out. And there is a point in the game where people just have to discard a bunch of tiles and you don't get to look at those. So I, I did finally, we did finally win, but we played many times beforehand. Uh, and it's fun. I, it, <laughs> is this a fun? It's like, is this a fun game? <laughs> it's, an, it's a fun game. Like, do I really need more stress in my yeah, life? Yeah, <laughs> it's what I played. And I'm like, I got to play. I got to keep playing this until I win. And I'm still playing mm -hmm. it for some reason. But it's very simple. You know, I think mm -hmm. like you could explain it to just about anyone. If you like frustrating co-op experiences then check it out <laughs> i remember us playing that one and and we kind of had the same feeling like was this fun like yeah i'm not sad that i played it but it wasn't exactly fun it was challenging and sometimes felt kind of like oddly punishing oh yeah oh um, yeah 100 yeah. <laughs> percent. if i hadn't played it on board game arena i don't think i would have played it again <laughs> <laughs> one of the things i like about the game and i remember is the cards are kind of too i don't want to say two-sided i mean obviously well they're tiles but they're two-ended i guess i don't know and 
as you play them out, the art is such that it kind of looks like a sun setting or a sun rising, depending on the way that um, you're looking at the cards. And I really like that. I thought that was kind of a, a neat way that you're kind of creating this tapestry of time as you put the tiles out on the board in some semblance of order. I thought that was a pretty neat kind of art effect at the end of the game. Yeah, it's funny to have such a beautiful game and have it be feel so so brutal. <laughs> well, especially with a name like Tranquility. This game right. is anything yes, but right. tranquil. Yes, <laughs> totally agree. Anisha, do you want to go next? Um, Sure. I have been playing some Starry Night Sky in preparation for this. Never heard of it. I'm just what? <laughs> no. Um, no, we've really been having a great time with it. And we'll probably talk more about it in the second half of the show. But this is one of those games where... I did kind of have to drag kids over to be like, no, really, please come and try and play this game. But once they started playing it, they're like, oh, this is kind of neat. And this is my goal. And this is what I want to do for our boys. I don't think it's going to be a super requested hit, but it's not something where they're going to be like, oh, do I have to play this game? <laughs> we have plenty of those. <laughs> <laughs> In that kind of middle spot where they're like, okay, it's fine. Sure. I'm, really really enjoying it the more i play it so we'll talk more about that later can i talk about the other space themed game that we've been playing go for it all right the other game this is a game that i picked up at essen last year it is not available in the states yet it's a game from grana which is the same original publisher as gutenberg which was brought to the united states by portal games and it is the game spacecraft (sighs) how do i describe this game It feels like a cross between Adventure Mart and Galaxy Trucker. On your turn, you are searching through a junkyard and you gather all these pieces. And then you when you leave the junkyard, you use the pieces to purchase parts of a spaceship. And there's like wings or this is the Galaxy Trucker part. There's like wings or boosters or connectors or like core body pieces or nose cones or whatever. And so you get all these pieces and they physically in some ways are puzzle pieces that you connect together to physically build a spaceship. It's not just like you put the tiles next to each other. They're puzzle pieces. You put them together, which is kind of fun, right? It's got a toy factor to it. So the beginning of the game, you flip over a a kind of a nebulous goal card and then you have a personal goal card. And so it might be that you want to build a spaceship that has two nose cones and three core pieces and one wing and two connectors and three boosters or something like that. And everybody's trying to do that. They look so bizarre. It's so weird. (laughs) It's so weird. And so you have to move your little guy around in the junkyard to pick up these pieces, which have weight and also they're like a type. So like the fan always has a weight of three, for example, there's other things that also have a weight of three. I think the garden hose also has a weight of three. And you can hold up to seven units of weight. It's not pounds or kilograms or anything. It's just units before you have to leave the junkyard. And then you turn around, you have to buy stuff and you, the weight is the currency. So when you go to buy something, the columns require certain things like the fan or the garden hose or a wrench or something like that. But you also have to fit the weight requirements of whatever that thing is too. And those kind of get mixed up every game. So you're trying to gather items to buy certain parts, but then you also have to spend multiple items that you've gathered to actually purchase individual things for some of the more expensive stuff, for some of the more expensive stuff. And then you're trying to put all those things together to fit either like just temporary goals that kind of exist over the course of the game that, you know, new cards come out, you accomplish that goal and a fresh card comes out kind of thing. And also 
the end game goal, which triggers the end game, which is the, that one card that's common for everybody, and also your personal goals. That's kind of the puzzle of the game. And I'm going to say it's not as good as Gutenberg. Gutenberg is an incredible no, game. No, Gutenberg fits, everything fits oh. together so oh. have you neatly. Have you played Gutenberg, Emma? I have. I played it about a year ago. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. It's just a, a brilliant game with some really, really cool mechanics. But like that toy factor DNA is is there in both of these games. I'm glad that I got Spacecraft when I did because our 12-year-old, it's right up his alley. I mean, mm-hmm. 12-year-old boy building a spaceship that's like a puzzle, like that's, I mean, the game is made for basically him. But I don't, after playing it, like I'm not sure that a company like Portal would pick this game up. Like, I don't think it's quite serious. And Grana is a family game publisher. I think Gutenberg is on the heavy side for them. And so the intersection of Portal and Grana is basically Gutenberg, right? So I don't, I don't <laughs> think that they would be the kind of company that would pick up a game like that. But like, I could see Pegasus picking it up and bringing it to the United States. Like they did First Rat. This has a lot of the similar DNA to a First Rat kind of a game, although with actually with less mechanics in it, really. Yeah, honestly, this is closer to what I wanted First Rat to be. Like First Rat kind of had a like my first serious Euro feel, but there was so much different ways to get points and like five different tracks you could be moving on and whatever that while it's accessible for age eight or nine, it would feel overwhelming for a lot of people. Even me, like it took two or three plays before I could be like, okay, you know what? I can mostly ignore that and just focus on two or three things rather than trying to do all eight different tracks. (laughs) And the interesting thing is like, I kind of fall on the other side of that. I actually prefer first rat to this game. Spacecraft. But I like both of them, right? But I just like all those distributed ways for point getting and all that stuff like that really appeals to me. So both of these are great games, but this is the one we're talking about is Spacecraft from yeah. Grana Games. Oh, that sounds very much up my alley. <laughs> You're talking spaceships and space junk and <laughs> a little bit of Galaxy Trucker and the toy element. Uh, I'm over here like, go on. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Well, let's figure out a convention that we'll both be at and I'm happy to bring it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know... I mean, I don't think there's any plans or anything for it to come to the, to the States, which is why I'm so glad that I grabbed it when I did. Yeah. yeah. All right, Emma, it's back to you. I started playing with a new group on Board Game Arena, and the first game we're playing, I'm not going to be able to pronounce this, uh, <laughs> Six Nim. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, Anitra plays a lot of Six In nim- English, <laughs> it's called Take Five. I didn't learn this until I had played it on Board Game Arena like 20 times. <laughs> Are those the same game? Take Five and Six Nymphed? Amigo sells them as the same game. Uh, whether okay, or not I never would have connected yeah. <laughs> unless yeah, I, I know, so- right? <laughs> but it's like six and then five, and interesting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think on board game arena, it's just on there as six nymphs. It's just on there as six nymphed. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it's kind of hard to explain. You know, it's just like again, you have number cards in your hand, and you're filling up these tracks, and it's not exactly push your luck, but if you get to the end of the track, if you're the last one to place in the row of numbers, then you get points, which are bad, or you get negative points. Um, yeah, you start with like a score of 66, and you're trying to keep your score as high as possible. And it's just, again, just very simple. I think 
math can be hard for people, but I think numbers for most people are are pretty simple. Like putting numbers in order is a pretty accessible mechanic. Uh, So you're just kind of trying to figure out, okay, should I take a few negative points here so I don't get the big negative points? If you have the like the bowl with like the six marks or the the 10 marks or whatever, you get a lot of Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. negative points. And yeah, again, putting the numbers in order. And because it's simultaneously reveal, you don't know what everyone else is going to put out. So people could kind of distribute between the tracks or like our first round of yesterday's game, like everybody went in the same track, except for me. And the last person was like one off from that last space. So at the reveal, you're like, whoa, I was not expecting that. Like, oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that kind of, ah, moment. Uh, and that's, I, I played it for the first time on Board Game Arena last year, the year before, and just fun and accessible and, and high player count, too. I'm not sure how high up it goes, but you can get a lot of people in there. Oh, you can do like eight or yeah, maybe even more than that. Yeah. It's a fun game. Oh, I guess that means it's my turn. I, 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 I didn't <laughs> so want to rush you. <laughs> I actually have another space-themed game that I can talk about. We gave our 12-year-old a copy of Mission to Planet Hex for Christmas, and I finally got him to pull it out and play it in the beginning of June. I had played this at conventions years and years ago with the creator, Jim Fitzpatrick, and it is a perfect 10 to 14-year-old boy kind of game. You have these hexagon mission cards and you're trying to attach something to each of the six sides and like that is your goal that is how you win the game attach something to all six sides first person who does that wins but all of the cards are hexagons you can also play them out into the main map to expand you know the space and planets and whatever that everybody can visit there are cards that are event cards that you can play to mess up other people's plans or advance your plans There are aliens. There's like instant cards. It's all that kind of stuff. And so every game of it feels different. And it seems really complex, but it's one of those where everything is explained on the cards all of the time. So you don't have to worry about like, oh, what if XYZ card comes out or, you know, this affects that. You just look at what you've got in front of you. The main thing you're doing is balancing off the mechanic of building out the map which lets people get the currency they need to put those hexagons in place around their their goal versus actually putting the things on your goal because it's usually like, oh, well, I need a space card and a planet card and two aliens and something like that for my goal. One of the things I like about this game as an observer, um, I actually have not played it, but it reads like a pulp sci-fi novel. Oh, a hundred percent, yes. <laughs> Just to hear people talk about what they're doing, and it's like, oh man, this is like Lois McMaster Bruhold is writing another novel, and we're all <laughs> listening to it. <laughs> Pretty much, I mean, mixed with like almost Monty Python, Douglas Adams esque, just like the wackiest aliens and situations and like i'm playing the vampire planet which actually i play on top of another planet and it sucks up all the stuff from it like it's just ridiculous and it leans into that heavily which makes it great very fun all right andrew got another one okay so i guess this is i'll be finishing up the uh the games played with this one i will choose another loosely space themed game (laughs) and i'm going to talk about a game that Anitra, I had to talk you out of getting rid of because you were convinced that we didn't want to play this anymore and you were dead wrong. And that is Catch the Moon. Oh, I was so glad that you convinced me to bring it <laughs> bring it upstairs and try playing it some more. We discovered our eight-year-old 
loves this game. Really likes this game. So Catch the Moon is this super, super adorable, kind of chill thematic suspend, I'm going to call it. Um, kind of chill, except <laughs> kind of really not like. at all. A little bit like Tranquility. In well, that. it's like the it's like the opposite of suspend, right? So in this game, you have a, it's like a cloud base, and you stick two lad- like starter ladders in it. And over the course of the game, you roll a die and it gives you instructions. And it might be place a ladder onto this structure that touches one other ladder or place a ladder on the structure that touches two other ladders. So it becomes this just geometric mess of the worst ladders. That, By the way, there is no way that OSHA would allow any of these ladders to exist in the real world. No, these are very the much like ladders. Tim Burton Oh, absolutely. Yeah, they're terrible. They're terrible. So you you just work together to like build this construct of ladders. And sometimes you have to put a ladder on and it doesn't matter what it touches, but it has to have the highest point of the structure at the end, you know, things like that. So it's a dexterity game in the same way that suspend is a dexterity game, which is, I think, the reason why I I put those two together. But, you know, if, if a ladder falls off or if you fail to meet the goal that you're supposed to meet, you have to take a tier. And when all the tiers run out, the game is over. And whoever has the fewest tiers wins. Yeah, pretty much. That's the game. It's incredibly simple. It's very, there's something about the ladders that is like kind of cute. I don't really know what it is. There's something. They're like Barbie sized. Yeah, yeah I don't, but it's, there's, there's something about it. I don't know. Yeah, well, they're like chunky. They're wood. Just the form factor. Very satisfying. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. The great texture on. They're not slippery. Like, But anyway, so that's Catch the Moon. Uh, we've really crammed a lot of space adjacent uh, <laughs> games into our week. <laughs> and it wasn't even on purpose. No. But uh, but hey, here we are. Why don't we take a very quick break and we come back. We're going to talk all about Emma and literally all about her games. Everything about Emma. <laughs> we'll be right back. Speed arithmetic is something I used to do in school for fun. I know it's probably kind of weird, but simple Uh, arithmetic problems at volume was exciting and invigorating and rewarding for me. I didn't didn't have to crunch on one problem for a long time and say, yay, I spent a half an hour and I have one answer. You know what I mean? I mean, I get that part. People like to see progress, and that's what I got when I did speed arithmetic. We never had a name for it, but if we did have a name for it, we might call it Math Rush. And that's the kind of game Genius Games made. This is a snap review for Math Rush. Math Rush is a cooperative card game for one to five players, and it takes about 15 minutes to play. John Caveu and Steve Schlepphorst designed Math Rush, and like we said, it's published by Genius Games. This is Volume 1, Addition and Subtraction. It's for ages 8 and up. So, Anisha, let's talk about the art in Math Rush. Okay, so there's not a lot of actual art here because it's just addition and subtraction facts plus some goal cards. But the graphic design is great. The numbers are big. The symbols are big. Everything that you really need to read is super big. Yep, and the colors matter too. Addition is blue. Subtraction is pink. Those goal cards are yellow. And help cards are green. So let's talk about the mechanics of Math Rush. Yeah, sure. So how do we play? We know about the math part. That's kind of obvious. But what makes this game rushed? Start by dealing out a hand of cards to each player. Five cards each for a one or two player game. 
uh, down to three cards if you have four or more players. Then set out three gold cards face up with room to make a row of cards to the right of each one. When everyone has had a chance to look at the goals and their own hand of cards, you start a three-minute timer. While the timer is going, players try to fulfill the goal cards with sets that match the requirements. Each goal card shows a direction, increasing or decreasing values, how many cards are needed to complete the set, and a victory point value. Many goals will also give an additional restriction, like odds only or subtraction only. There are no turns in this game. Any player can play a card from their hand at any time, either in order, ascending or descending, or on top of a card with an equal value. After they've played a card, they can draw a new one from the deck. When a goal card is complete, meaning it has the required quantity of number cards in its set, you flip it face down and then add another new goal card to the table. When the time is up, check all the completed goals. Did all the cards played meet the restriction? You can quickly check the ordering by flipping the number cards over. Each one has a letter of the alphabet on it, so you can check the row for alphabetical order. Very cool. If all the requirements of a goal are met, the players get points according to the stars on the card. Keep track on paper or with counters, then reshuffle all the goals and all the numbers for the next round. After three rounds, count up your score and add some points for any unused help cards. Help cards don't get reset between rounds. You only have three of them to use over the course of the game. During a round, you can flip a help card over to either remove any quantity of number cards from a single set, or all players can discard any number of cards from their hands and redraw. So, how will your team fare? Are you arithmetic aces or geometry geniuses? So, Anisha, what did we expect from this one? Well, Genius Games is known for games that break that usual educational game paradigm. They're actually fun, uh, <laughs> while staying accurate to their source material. But how do you make math facts fun? I've seen a lot of other games try this and fail. They usually try to reward correct calculation, which is fine, but it gets boring really quickly. Math flashcards just aren't that interesting. Un unless you're Andrew, I guess. You mentioned the math flashcards. You can totally actually use these cards as math flashcards if you want to. But remember that speed arithmetic thing I talked about? Seeing the cards pile up as everybody's playing into all these piles, it makes me feel the same way. But that leads us into what surprised us here. This is a math game where getting to the answer really matters. It's not about showing off or being the best at the math, but being able to contribute to the larger problem of sequencing numbers in order. For me, I didn't really expect this to be a cooperative game. That was one of my big surprises. See, our brains are wired to see the problem on the card as the problem to solve. That's true, but the real genius of what Genius Games did here is that they realized the little problems could be a springboard to a bigger, more collective problem. For me, that's where this game actually shines, because they created a new problem to solve as a team while acknowledging that you can't collaborate on 1 plus 1 equals... Two. Yeah, no. One more thing that surprised me is that there were higher numbers in these equation cards than I expected. They went about as high as 25. Um, uh, this one says 28 because it's a subtraction equation. But this is really good because it means the game scales a little bit and stays challenging beyond age eight or nine. We genuinely had a lot of fun playing this together. 
if playing with younger players who are still mastering addition and subtraction, you can modify the difficulty in a lot of different ways in this game. You can remove some of the more advanced cards, maybe with some of those bigger numbers. You can use help cards as many times as you want to. You can only work on one goal at a time, or maybe you even just remove the timer altogether. There's lots of options. By the way, if you want more than simple addition and subtraction, remember, this is version one. There are actually three. Version two is multiplication and exponents. And version three is fractions, decimals, and percentages. Ooh. Yeah. So speaking of fractions and decimals, Anitra, what are we going to rate Math Rush from Genius Games? Well, they've got a great system here, and I'm excited, maybe a little scared, <laughs> to see the problems in Volumes 2 and 3, but we're going to rate Math Rush 4 out of 5 math problems. And that's Math Rush in, in a, a snap. snap. And we're back. We are here with Emma Larkins. So we, Andrew and I, first became aware of you as a game designer after we played Abandon All Artichokes, which, by the way, thank you. This is the easiest deck building game to explain to somebody who's never played one before. Nice. <laughs> that was my goal. I think, I think everyone in our family loves this game. All five of us. Yeah, it's just really enjoyable. Our daughter has tried to prove to us that there is a single winning strategy and I've tried to be like, well, maybe, but I think she's probably right. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, this again, playing tons of games on Board Game Arena, I've really been evolving my strategy over time. Yeah. Uh, I'm really into the carrot denial strategy right now because a lot of people think the carrot is overpowered. Uh, but if people get their decks thin enough, you can actually loop the leek and either peas and onions and deny them that give. Yep. So I think there's yep. some counterplay there. <sighs> Yeah, I, I can see that. Yeah. What is, by the way, what is Claire's strategy that she thinks is the superior strategy? Oh, Claire's strategy is carrots whenever possible. When there aren't carrots, you just take anything that lets you get rid of an artichoke. Hmm. Pretty much try not to put anything in your deck. Just keep getting rid of artichokes and take as few other cards as possible. Thin deck strategy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So she gets down to like four cards and one of them is an artichoke. Which means that you you have no deck anymore. Yeah. You have the same hand of cards that you discard at the end of your turn and you pull the whole thing back up again. Yeah. But then you have the waiting game of, can I actually do something to get rid of this last artichoke? Yeah. Yeah. Can I get the onion or can I uh, do, do an eggplant or something? Even just giving away non-artichokes, you know, just get rid of that one last one. Mm -hmm. So with Abandon All Artichokes, theme or mechanics? <laughs> Which one came first? Oh, uh, name. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Can you tell that story? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Uh, I love this. Uh, Abandoned All Artichokes was a name-first design. Back in 2016 or 2017, I was really trying to break into game design and improve my skills. So I gave myself a game design daily challenges. Every day I would do a little thing related to games. And I was working at Mox Boarding House at the time, which is an awesome board game store located here in Seattle. So I take the bus to work, and one day I decided I'd write a list of alliterative game names. They were just words stuck together, you know, like obnoxious opossums or like <laughs> feral fire fairies or something. I literally just wrote like 20 or 30 of these, uh -huh. and I was posting all the stuff to Twitter at the time to keep myself accountable. 
I posted it, you know, a few people kind of engaged with it, but one person at least said I would buy that game and the name was Abandon All Artichokes. Uh, so I kind of had that in the back of my head for a while. And in October of that year, I did another challenge, which was I'm going to make a game every day for a week, just a very simple game, prototype it, play test it. And I came back to that Abandon All Artichokes name. And, you know, I'm like, well, what kind of mechanics go with that? And, you know, deck building, or at least the trashing part of mm-hmm. deck building. Mm-hmm. So the name and the mechanic and went from there. Very cool. Nice. That's fun. That's super fun. <laughs> I remember when I talked to Nora at Game Right, the year that Abandoned All Strokes came out, she said, oh, we have to show you our new deck building game. But really, it's not a deck building game. It's a deck wrecking game. Yeah. And I love that term, that deck wrecking game kind of term, because that's not something that like like that's not a that's not a genre really deck building is the genre but um it's totally appropriate for the game yeah uh, i i can't even take credit for the deck wrecking uh term i think that was nora or jason who came up mm, with that well you know you put two brilliant people in a room there figure out something smart so. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so. oh that and the tag of the heartless card game i'm pretty sure that was jason because it's yeah. just like <laughs> like ah oh. I'm pretty sure that was an LOL for me, like actual yeah. LOL when I saw it. Like, you know what? That That is smart. That is so yeah. smart. I love it. It took me a second to get it. I was like, heartless? Oh. Yeah. Well, those yeah. are the best jokes. Those are yeah. the ones where you have to put some thought into it, but it doesn't have to be explained to you. Yeah. Those are the best. Oh, my gosh. It's so fun. Uh, the game is in a lot of different languages now. I think 10 or 11. It's in Japanese. It's in Korean, Italian, Spanish, German. And they all have slightly different titles. Like the Spanish one is Alcachofas, no gracias. It's like artichokes, <laughs> no thank you. Thank you. I love it. Which I love. But the best tagline is the Japanese one, which roughly translates to Operation to Eradicate Vegetables Without Justice. Wow. That's <laughs> yeah. a long name. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, for the, the tagline, the name is. Oh, sure, sure. You know, like artichokes. So, um, Oh, it's I hate artichokes. Oh my gosh, that's what it was. Oh my gosh. Because people always ask me, they're like, Do you hate artichokes? I'm like, No, I'm not. I love artichokes. Artichokes are great. And then the Japanese title is literally, I hate artichokes. I'm like, ah. But yeah, that and the, the subtitle is really fun. That's hilarious. <laughs> Moving on from uh, where we started with Abandoned All Artichokes, we already alluded to it, but Starry Night Sky is out now from Buffalo Games. I got a chance to play it back at PAX East earlier this spring and brought a copy home and started playing it with uh, uh, Andrew and the kids. You got a chance to play it with Emma. Yeah, right? I did. <laughs> Emma showed me how to play. It was great. Uh, and then I spread the love to everyone else. That's my job, right? But the more we play Starry Night Sky, the more it feels to me like a kinder and more chill kind of Ticket to Ride-esque game. I, I know you've made some comments recently online about like, wow, I can't believe people are comparing this to Ticket to Ride. But it's got some of that same feel of you're working on a common board, everybody's building stuff out. What you do affects other people a little bit, but not a ton. For the record, so. there was a an interfam- intra-family gamer conversation about how it reminded us of, tic- of Ticket to Ride before you pointed out or, or, or talked yes. about the other people who talked about it, reminding <laughs> them of Ticket to Ride. So... We're not just followers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I, um, and that was even before release. 
So I, I think as I mentioned online, you know, I used to play a lot of tickets ride on the subway in New York City. You know, you didn't need an internet connection. So you could just play it all, all the time. I play the app a ton. Uh, it's a great game. And as I was first building it out, I wasn't thinking of Ticket to Ride at all, you know, and if you just kind of sat down and looked at it, you'd be like, you wouldn't immediately think of Ticket to Ride. It was only later in development that people were kind of saying like, oh, it's got some similarities here. So I think that that's really the convergent design there. And it's got some big differences, too. So I think it's, it's cool to see how that works. And I think it speaks to... Just some like really good core game design principles. Like you said, interactivity. Are there things you do that affect and change the board and change the world for other players? And of course, what's interesting in Starry Night Sky is it just kind of universally helps people. <laughs> when you're putting down, you're not right. blocking paths, you're opening up paths for other people. And then the goal cards as well, having something long-term to work towards. It was, it was great too, because when I was making the description on... BGG, uh, I'm trying to like, what is the mechanic? It's not like exactly tile placement. I guess pattern building is one. And then I kind of looked at the ticket to ride. I'm like, what did they do? And got some <laughs> of the stuff off of there. Route building or route building, I think, is maybe one of them. Describing cans is hard. Yeah. <laughs> I sometimes when I'm writing up about a game, I'd be like, okay, what the heck mechanic is this? What? What? How do I? What? And then I'll pull what it up on BGG and be like, yeah. oh, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. So yeah, unique component placement because they have, they have the trains and this has the stars. You know, usually it's tokens or tiles. It's a little more rare that you'll have very specific pieces that you put down that has a potential table knock <laughs> <laughs> uh, situation. You know, if the cat comes up there or if the, the table gets bumped, stuff can kind of move around a little bit. I do think that Starry Night Sky actually probably has a little bit less of that issue than some of the other route building type games we might talk about because once you have things out on the board they belong to everybody yeah yes really you know the only things that you quote unquote own are the achievements that you yourself have done and the stars that you haven't put out yet yeah and that was a huge part of development there was a long time where you did own stuff and every constellation you would go to you would put your helper tokens down and the board was very crowded with all of the different tokens and pieces and you know three or four people would have their their tokens in a space and it's funny how much taking all of that away changed the vibe of the game and people have said like i'm glad this is not a territory control game yeah. With marking and ownership, you're like, I did this, I did this, I take credit for that. You know, it's really meant to be uh, like a collectivist, <laughs> like kinder, gentler, you know. Some people have either like, well, I put stars down here, so like I should get more credit or I should get more points or I should get this. <laughs> I, I did more work. It's like, you know, let's, let's all kind of work together and have a fun experience that way. There's a social commentary there, I think. Like, Oh, yeah, absolutely. 100%. <laughs> there are a few other games I can think of that reward cooperation while being a competitive game. Like, yeah, we're, you know, we're not sharing the victory here. Like, I have my own goals I'm working towards. But it's really nice to see that. And you don't see a lot of it in board gaming. It's usually like, well, if we're competing, then obviously either we're head to head, like I'm taking this thing from you and you're taking it from me, or we're working on our own boards and it's so completely separate. It's like, oh, well, I can't really do much that affects you or whatever. 
And this marries those together so nicely that it's like, no, we're working together to explore constellations and discover all of these things in the night sky. And I have some things that I really want to do, which best case might help you and worst case won't affect you at all. Yeah, it's really funny to see that you can actually see the people like their play style. They'll just kind of go off on their own and they are less successful (laughs) in the game. They get less points for doing that. And people don't always put it together, but you're like... You just see them kind of hopping off into the into the sunset or the like, star okay, set and star rise. You can go do your thing over there. I'm I'm not really interested in, in that direction, and I'm not going over there. Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of uh, like the way your myth cards come out uh, and the way your little exploration goals that you get over the course of the game. You do kind of have to change your strategy. Like you might with where people are going and the cards you have those might not be that helpful for you. And you might have to kind of change your strategy a little bit, say, maybe I'll focus a little less on the myth cards and kind of do this for now. And maybe towards the end of the game, I'll have some chance to fill out the rest of those. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was definitely part of the game for me when I played was looking at everything that I had and kind of making some decisions on, okay, well, this is what I'm going to try to do. And then about halfway through, I'm like, this is not going to work. Like, it's just not going to happen that way. And and so, you know, holding on to things a little bit loosely is definitely helpful. You know, I, th- I think this conversation is the first time I've ever considered similarities between Starry Night Sky and Deep Sea Adventure, <laughs> where if you go yeah. off on your own and do your own thing, you're probably going to die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's I, interesting. Yeah. That's fun. So these two games are very different from each other. So I it makes me kind of wonder, like, what is your process like where you get to these points? You just kind of try things until certain things stick and then you iterate on those ideas or like what's what's that part of this whole thing like of creating games? Yeah, yeah. I definitely know from, you know, especially watching some of those prolific game designers, some people very much do have a niche that they they find, they're successful with it and they stick with it and it can be helpful for people because they kind of know what gameplay to expect from those types of designs. I, <laughs> I don't know, boundary pushing is, is really the word for it, but I like to come up with new things, you know, especially these days, there's so many games and so many game designs, just so much stuff out there. I think that it's really important to, explore and see what kind of new things that you can come up with. And and I really think just if there is an organizing principle to my game designs, I would say it's feelings of delight and then also aha moments. So I would say for Abandoned Artichokes, you know, the aha moment that I see, especially in newer players a lot of newer players who haven't done deck builders before, like, okay, I'm getting a card. I'm getting rid of a card. I don't really understand. And then they draw into it. They're like, oh, and now I have better stuff. Mm-hmm. And then they get rid of that. They're like, oh, and every time I go through my deck, I have better options and I'm closer to winning. And you can see their, them kind of light up, you know, mm-hmm. and they've learned something. To, to us gamers, we're like, oh, obviously math, probabilities, statistics, the makeup of your deck, it's all in our head, you know, but go back to the first time you ever played, all of us had that moment where we played a deck builder for the first time and we're like, kind of got that principle. Uh, so people yeah. having that moment in Starry Night Sky, when you first realize you can kind of start to go farther across the board because the constellations are filled in. 
you know, in the beginning, you get the fire constellation or whatever. You're like, oh, I'm never going to get out there. It's so far away. But then 10 turns later, all of a sudden, you're like, oh, I can get there, you know, and then it clicks Mm -hmm. like, oh, everybody filled in the stuff. And now we can all move for heart catchers slash which is now squabbling goblins it's the little uh super villain cackle of delight thing where you like put the secret underneath you're like you don't know what that is and i know what it is and (laughs) (laughs) what do you think it is you know so yeah kind of that surprise delight combined with accessibility you know approachability like i think it's really important for as many people as possible to be able to play the games that i make yeah we are definitely witness to that. So far, all of the games that we're seeing from you are very family friendly and approachable. And it's just the kind of thing where some serious gamers might be like, oh, well, that's some filler game. Like, okay, I like playing filler games. Yeah. I can like the ones that are really mean, although my kids don't usually like those. And the ones that are really chill and like, oh, hey, we're just all kind of doing this thing together. And at the end, look at this beautiful thing that we all built even though I win. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I win. One of the early f- best first experiences of Vanal Artichokes was I was at Unpub at Pax Unplugged. And this family came up, two young girls, maybe like seven and nine. And they sat, the girls sat down to the table, the parents watched. Uh, and, you know, I'm like, okay, see how this goes. You know, I haven't tested that much with, with kids before. Uh, and the, I think the nine-year-old picks up the cards like, I presume play passes to the left. I'm like, all right, <laughs> this is, this is going to be great. And it was, you know, they, they understood everything. And that's just kids, especially, you know, seeing them. It's just mm-hmm. such a delight to see them enjoy board games. So we've talked a little bit about these specific games and where some of the ideas came from. But you mentioned that Abandon All Artichokes in particular was when you were really trying to design more board games. So how did you get to that point where you told yourself, this is a thing I really want to do. I want to design more board games, any board games. <laughs> yeah. My, <laughs> uh, my first game, Heart Catchers, which is no longer in print. I started working on it in 2015. I think the Kickstarter is 2016. I need my list of dates here. It's, it's all so long ago. You know, everyone's like, oh, it takes years to break into the industry and all this stuff. And I was really lucky because my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, when I met him, he was working on a board game and kind of showed me some of the local events and things. And so I made this game, Heart Catchers, for him for Valentine's Day as a Valentine's Day present. And it was literally, you know, construction paper, cut out hearts and like the cards were construction papers. I had no idea about prototyping or anything. I'm just like, hey, this is cute. This is fun. And I gave it to him and we played and, oh, and he also, when I met him, you know, he had the shelf. I'd never seen that before. Like I didn't really <laughs> play board games before that. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, oh, what is this? You know, so he really introduced me to a lot of that. We played and he said, this is actually pretty good. You should do something with this. <laughs> For And I say it's my first game, but, you know, a lot of, I would say a lot of people, uh, especially a lot of women can be kind of self-deprecating about their their skills and their talents. And, you know, I'd played video games for years. I had a lot of other education. I had a product design education background. So I had a lot of pieces that all came together. Yeah, so I was playtesting in the local groups in New York City. People are testing it. They're like, yeah, this is pretty good. And one of the people in the groups actually ended up being a publisher and said, you know, I'm looking for a small box to play your game. And I want to publish your game. 
we did the Kickstarter for it. And I'm like, yeah, I'm a game designer now. And I, I tried some other stuff and kind of, it was harder <laughs> the second time around. And I was struggling a little bit. And, you know, sometimes when you succeed to some extent in the beginning, and then it gets harder, you can get a little frustrated. Mm-hmm. So I had another game, cooperative storytelling game called And Then We Died that we were I was working on. And I got to this point where I was frustrated with the whole process. And career-wise, most of my my early life, into my 30s, I say early life, I was struggling to kind of find direction. You know, what am I going to do with my life? Mm. Bounced around between writing and marketing and all these things. But I always wanted that thing, you know, like, what am I going to do with my life? And I just kind of decided, I'll do board games. So... Eventually, I sat down while I was working at Mox Boarding House and really being uh, infused and surrounded by the craft. I, I took this time to, to say, like, what would it look like if I really buckled down and just tried to make it happen? What would you tell someone who's loosely contemplating getting into board games? Like, what what should they do? For example, our daughter... I'm not saying that she wants to get into board game creation full time, but she definitely is like kind of dabbling in some board game stuff. We we bought her some fail faster journals and she's definitely working through those. And it's kind of weird to play a game while she's taking notes. Like that's a weird <laughs> feeling for me, but that's okay. I'm fine with it. But like, what would you tell her if she was standing right here? She's probably in her room reading, but what what would you tell her if she was here? Yeah. First of all, I might not necessarily say to go into board game design as your (laughs) first career choice. Uh, It's like music or writing fiction or anything that there's a lot, a lot of luck, you know, and most people do this while also doing other stuff on the side. It's funny, too, because my advice has really changed over time. In the past, I'd really say, you know, find a board game design community and talk with other designers and kind of play a lot of games and see what's out there. And I still think that, you know, the educational route where you learn from other people and what has come before can be a good thing. But it's also, it can be kind of narrowing and limiting and frustrating in the way that people who have done this before have a certain perspective can try and fit you into that box and really say, this isn't the way it's done. Have you decided this mechanic? You know, people can be pretty mm. aggressive about it. So these days, especially for uh, young people and for women and for people from marginalized backgrounds, I say, play with your friends, play your games with your family, play your games with people who they're not playing your game because they feel obligated or they're not playing your game because they want to fix something. They're playing your game because they like games and they like having fun. So if you can find those people, people will say like, oh, if you only test with your friends, you're going to make a very narrow game just for that specific group of friends. And first of all, say like, maybe that's all you need to do. You just want to make a game that's really good for your friend group. Uh, And second of all, you know, you can go to conventions, you know, find other players, take the game to school. You know, there's a lot of different ways that you can play with not just exactly the same group of people. But yeah, make the game and play the game with people. Those are always going to be <laughs> my things. The, <laughs> the, the biggest thing I see potential designers do is like, oh, I'm, I want to make a game. I'm really excited to make a game. I'm like, okay, make the game. It's like, <laughs> but I don't, how, where, where does like, 
just draw something on a piece of paper, you know, like mm-hmm. I did with heart catchers, do a circle and write <laughs> discard two on it or something, or <laughs> not even mechanics, you know, the cat mm-hmm. eats the cookie when you play this card, it doesn't even have to mean anything, just as long as you start describing actions that people can take, <laughs> telling people what to do, you know, that's a lot about uh, sure. making games and making rules for people and trying to get them to follow them. I also think, by the way, like if you make a game for your friend group, like hopefully you hang out with awesome people and that just means you're making a game for awesome people. And so awesome people will buy it. Yeah. Well, and I will cut in here a little bit. Like if you make a game for your friend group and your friend group loves it, maybe that's all you need. You are still a game designer, even if it's not a game that you have mass produced and sold to the public. You designed a game. There's a group of people who find it fun. Yeah, it's like when I uh, used to do writing. At one point, I called myself an aspiring writer and... It wasn't until years later, I was like, wait a second, I was just a writer. I was writing. You know, it's sure. if you if you write, you're a writer. If you make any game, you're a game designer. I think people put these kind of unnecessary thresholds where like, I can't call myself a thing until I get to this specific point, until I'm published or until I pitch to someone. Mm-hmm. That, that's the, it's just choosing your goals. You know, right. it's like for any hobby or potential career, at what point will you be satisfied or, or just milestones really, you know, it's, you can be satisfied at any point with, with what you're doing, but having a goal or a milestone that's not astronomical can be a lot more motivating. Yeah, I, I mean, I, you know, we live in a world now where like you get like BuzzFeed articles, like does every hobby have to turn into a side hustle kind of thing, right? And, and you know, the answer is no, you can just have a hobby for the sake of enjoying doing something. And uh, that doesn't make you any less of whatever that thing is just because you do or don't have commercial success doing it, right? Maybe that's not your actual goal. So I think that's really smart. Yeah, and, and I will say today with the advancement of print and play and all these different organizations that are coming out, you can even make beautiful games. It doesn't, you can start with cut up scraps of paper and whatever you want, but you can get really great production values. So you can even make something similar to what you would see on the shelf at a board game store just by yourself. So if that's even your goal, you know, I want my game to be in a box. I want it to be beautiful. I want it to have really fun components. All of that is completely achievable by the average person. You know, and and you said something else, and I was kind of thinking about this when Anitra was talking about Starry Night Sky, but uh, you really sort of reinforced it when talking about game design in general. A game doesn't have to fit like a predefined rubric in order for it to be considered a game, right? Like there's a place for people who take whatever that little one train thing is from like right at the corner of Florida, you know, which one I'm talking about. Anybody wants to go to Florida, they want that. Like there's a place for games where, you know, you take that at the beginning of the game and then you take whatever the other one is, New Orleans to whatever that two one down the bottom. You take those at the beginning of the game, no matter what you're going for, just so that somebody else can't get them. Yeah. Right. Right. There's a place for that, right? Like that's yeah. a that is a type of game and there are plenty of people who like that type of game. But there's also a place for a game that's maybe you're less of a jerk when you play it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and it's okay if someone likes one and doesn't like the other one. Like that's yeah. okay. That's yeah. called real life. And when you talk about like maybe you just make a game that only your friends like, well, it's okay if somebody doesn't like something that you're doing or doesn't like something that you're creating. That's just fine. People have preferences. So nobody wants to not be liked, right? So yeah. I think that I think that we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to make 
make ourselves or the stuff that we produce be likable to everybody. And, and I think that that is, you talk about impossible goals, right? Like, I think that's yes. an impossible goal. And even what's a game, you know, I was working on a prototype for a while that was about uh, lining up cards to make a three word phrase. And then you chanted those. I have this idea I've been working on for years called, have you had enough cheese? And the farthest I've gotten with it is just the vibe of being at a dinner party and the host has bought way too much cheese and is trying to (laughs) fob the cheese onto everyone so that the cheese is consumed. (laughs) You know, and then there's just even going beyond those role playing games, there's storytelling games, there's so many things that fit into the world of games that maybe doesn't look like the normal or the traditional stuff. Uh, but can still be a lot of fun. I think for kids in particular, you know, if they can not be beholden to that and uh, I think they can be a little nervous about coloring outside the lines sometimes, but just Mm -hmm. do playground games, convention games, you know, physical games, all of that stuff. Yeah. Well, I think of when you say convention games, I think of the first time I ever played In Vino Morte by Chris Anderson. That is barely a game. I I really love it, but most people would be like, Andrew is one of them. It's Doesn't like, do where it is me. the game? I'm sorry. There's just not enough holding it together. What was the, was it Poisons? Poisons yeah, made it that more game, gamey. That, that had enough, there was glue there, right? There's no glue in, in Vino Morte. Right. But in Vino Morte has stayed in our collection and Poisons did not because in Vino Morte, I pull it out and I'm like, hey guys, let's play one round, you know, and it takes a minute <laughs> or two. So I respect it. I respect it. There's a whole universe out there of what you can do in a game. There is no game in the world that everyone loves all of the time. Yeah. I have to give a shout out to Jen Sandercock, who designs food games and even wrote a whole cookbook and kickstarted a cookbook that's recipes, but also games. So I got to play one of these (laughs) at Shucks one year, and it was a trader game where you gave some of the little it was like a little pastry cup with either chocolate or jam and then cream on top of it so you couldn't see what was in it (laughs) and one person would be the the ruler or whatever and you'd like choose which tart that other people would be like oh you know i'm not the trader or whatever and you chose it when you bit into it you would see whether they were the trader or not so telling you there's cool cool stuff out there that's amazing yeah All right. Well, we have just about reached the end of our time. However, Emma, I would love it if you could tell us one or two cool facts about yourself, just so all of us can get to know you a little better. Yeah, sure. The first fact is I love blacksmithing. I took blacksmithing classes for the first time when I was in high school and made some really cool things out of metal, kind of focusing more on the art, sculptural aspect of it didn't get a chance to do it for 20 ish years. And then recently found blacksmithing classes around the area here in Seattle. So I was able to come back to it and I recommend it for anyone who like hitting hot metal and (laughs) the, the smell of burning metal and fire and sulfur and all those kinds of things. Second thing. Uh, I think I'm just going to talk about plants. Uh, Also we, my husband and I bought a house last year and We'd lived in an apartment for like eight years or so before that point. And, you know, finally 
got a house with a yard and really went kind of ham into the decorative <laughs> plants and the garden plants. And I put up my first raised bed. So have some excellent, seedlings. Excellent. I can also get obsessive and kind of research based with some of these things. So I'm like natural organic pest control and permaculture, food forests, Google culture, raised beds. Sometimes you get too stressed out and be like, oh, what if one of my plants dies? It's going to be the end of the world. <laughs> no, um, like but that's I- the circle of life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, guard. I have like maybe too many zucchini seedlings that I'm looking forward. If you think you might possibly have too many zucchini seedlings, then you definitely do have yeah, too many yeah. zucchini seedlings. I'll yeah, but it's uh, the thing right that everyone gives away. <laughs> I, I know, I know, but like, what do I do with them <laughs> now that I'm I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to, gonna have to go and buy nothing or something and give them away because I just can't. <laughs> There's just them. They're my babies, you know. I just like. <laughs> I feel like there's a board game here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can't let go of my plant Something babies. Something about giving away zucchini. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. I, Leaving it secretly on your neighbor's porch. <laughs> One of my yeah. dear friends, her mom, She, I, I think she said she gave her mom this t-shirt, but I saw it in a Facebook picture and I thought it was hysterical um, because it's like a 75-year-old woman wearing a shirt that had a picture of a plant on it and it says, I wet my plants. Oh, and no. I just think it's amazing <laughs> oh. and hilarious. <laughs> I just had to share That's that. I'm great. sorry. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's it. That's I all I got. That. Yeah. That's, right. That's yeah. how I'm wrapping right. this one. <laughs> one last thing before we close, those were some cool facts to learn, is that if people want to follow you online, find out more about games you're designing or conventions you're going to be at or your random thoughts on life and maybe you have neighbors listening somewhere in Seattle who would happily take the zucchini seedlings. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> where can people find you online? Uh, I'm Emma Larkins, most places. So my website is emmalarkins.com, uh, Twitter, Emma Larkins, Instagram. I technically have a TikTok. I don't post a lot on there. Same. Same. (laughs) And on my website, I have an email newsletter as well. And getting better at posting releases and stuff. But if you want the be all end all, is this thing out? What is coming up next? And that's probably the best way to stay up to date with all those things. Starry Night Sky, it is available at this Mm -hmm. point. Some of the company website stuff is a little unclear, but you can absolutely purchase it on Amazon. And I believe the Eureka Puzzles website also has a listing. It's coming to more retail soon as well. Early stages of a game. This is the time for people to buy, to talk about it, to do ratings on all the websites. People seem to be enjoying it so far. So I'm just excited for more people to play. So I'll say two things about that. Number one, if you go to thefamilygamers.com, the same day this podcast comes out, we are releasing our review for Starry Night Sky. So you can find out all about it. There's a link for Amazon and stuff like that that'll be on there. And the second thing that I'll say is I have never seen a more beautiful box than the box for this game. It is sparkly and wonderful. I love it. (laughs) Like this needs to have pride of place on the shelf. Right? Totally. Totally. You know, if you're one of those people like us where you don't have enough room on your board game shelves, so you push the games back and then face some games in front of them, Starry Night Skies should be one of the games that you face. <laughs> it's totally 100%. true. Yeah, the artist Nim Ben Ruben just really knocked it out of the park for this one. And then Buffalo Games with the, the production and the foil and everything. I can't take credit for any of that, but I'm just really happy with the way it came out. 
So, Andrew, where can people find us online? Yeah, well, you can find that review if you go to thefamilygamers.com. That's the best place to go to find all of our reviews, to find our podcast. Uh, and then all of the other social media links are there. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Sometimes. <laughs> At Family Gamers AA. You can also find us on YouTube at Family Gamers AA or I think The Family Gamers. The Family Gamers. Yep. yep. As well. So please head over there, subscribe, and see some videos of us talking about some games. A lot of fun. Yeah, totally. You can always email us if you have a direct question. I'm Anitra at TheFamilyGamers.com. I am Andrew at TheFamilyGamers.com. Father's Day is coming up for our US listeners. And if your dad plays games with his kids, maybe you should get him a Play Games With Your Kids t-shirt. Or mug. Or mug. Well, it's just the Family Gamers yeah. logo on the mug, but still. Uh, or a, like a hoodie or something. Maybe you live in a cooler climate. You know, we don't want to be exclusive. So there's lots of different options. You can get all of that stuff at thefamilygamers.com forward slash merch. Please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast if you liked it. Tell your friends about the podcast and be like, I heard Emma Larkins. It was so cool. You should listen to it and she'll tell you all about game design. And you could help us a little bit by leaving us a review at Apple Podcast or one of those places. But really telling your friends is probably the best way to do it. And you should tell all your friends to pick up a banner all artichokes and start an ass guy. Yes, that's it. They're both <laughs> excellent. So I ruined the review. Darn it. <laughs> I wouldn't call it ruining. Preview. I, I kid. The Family Gamers is sponsored by First Move Financial. Go to firstmovefinancial.com slash family gamers and learn how the team at First Move Financial can help you pile up the victory points. Emma, thank you so much for coming on. This has been lots of fun. I'm super excited for more people to get a chance to play Star Night Sky and enjoy the chill gaming experience that we got to enjoy. Thank you so much for having me. All right, Anitra, I think that is it for this week. So Anitra and Emma and everybody else out there, until next time, play, play games, games with, with your, your kids. kids.